Advent. I, I love I love this time of year. I love this season, okay? I think what we can intentionally do as believers is we can use this time where we are where we are looking back at and reflecting on the coming of Jesus, where he, where he put on flesh and came to earth to save us, like we just talked about, like we just sang about. We can look back on that and reflect on that in a way that should ideally, as believers, stir us up in longing to the day that he comes again. And that is what Advent is for. It's this, it's this word for arrival. We are caught, you and I, right now in the time, in the moment in history between Christ's two arrivals to earth. He came one time and did what he came to do. He, he he conquered sin. He conquered the grave. He rose victorious, and now he is seated on the throne. But one day he will come again to make all things right. And the already not yet will pass away, and it'll just be now. Here we are. And it'll be amazing, right? Yes, there's two people that are excited about that. And that, those two people, it is really good. It's really good news. But we don't live there yet. We live in the already not yet. And we're in, if we're honest, we're, a lot of us are in a season or a, a, an area of our life where we're waiting for something. And let's be honest, waiting is hard. You're not you when you're hungry, according to Snickers. According to the Bible, you're not you when you're waiting. Waiting is tough. Waiting changes your behavior. When you're getting impatient or longing to have something happen, it changes you a little bit, doesn't it? Get a little angsty, get a little anxious, get a little mad, frustrated. I'll say this, if, if we can look right now at the places where you are most anxious or you are most upset in your life, it's probably tethered to something that you are waiting for or something that you thought would happen by now and it hasn't. That's the case for a lot of us. I know this time, Christmas season, it not only heightens the good things that we do have, but also it magnifies the things that we're missing in our life, doesn't it? So for some of you, you came in here and you can't wait to spread the Christmas cheer. You're like Buddy the Elf all over the place everywhere you go. Others of you... This season brings about it a certain kind of dread, if we're able to be that honest. It's an awareness that somebody isn't sitting at the Christmas table who should be there this year. It's an awareness that that relationship hasn't panned out the way that you wanted it to. The prodigal still hasn't come home. The job still is struggling along the way that it has been for far too long. I thought I'd be married by now. I've gone to all my friends' weddings, but I, I haven't yet found that person in my life. See, the holidays heighten the things that we're missing a lot of times, too. And as we dive into hope this morning, the topic of hope, what I want to kind of wonder about is how do we have hope as believers in an age of despair? There's plenty of despair out there, isn't there? And maybe in America, there's not a ton of despair, but there's certainly plenty of disappointment, if we're honest. I think down maybe just a few clicks from despair is disappointment, and everyone's disappointed with something. You want to try? Politics. How many of us have lost a little hope in politics over the last few years? Like, last few years, bro, I've, been, I've lost hope in politics since like the 70s, thank you very much, right? How many of you have lost hope in education a little bit over the last few years with your kids in school? Well, there's a reason our homeschool group is just blowing up right now, and there's moms and dads all over the place getting connected to our homeschool ministry. How many of you all lost hope in entertainment? Disney Plus is no longer on your channels that you're subscribed to on your Roku, thank you very much. Amen. Hey, I mean, doesn't have to be Amen. Disney can't be the happiest place on earth, but some of y'all lost a little hope on the stories that they're telling, right? I go on and on and on. Some of you lost hope in the economy over the last little bit. Things looked amazing there for a few years, and now all of a sudden it's getting back to being a little shaky, and we're not so sure what our 401k is going to look like tomorrow morning. You just go down the line, and all of a sudden you can look out in the world we're living in, and you can see disappointed and dashed hopes everywhere you turn. But it's one thing for us to lose hope in the world, it's another thing when we start to lose hope in here. Isn't it? 
It hurts a little different when the hope isn't just external and something we're watching happen, but it's something that's starting to unfold in our very own hearts. And we ourselves start to become and feel hopeless. Do you have something, an area of your life where you used to have hope, but you're growing weary in hoping that it's going to happen? Hope, by definition, is the belief or the disposition that good will prevail. It's trust in a favorable outcome. That's what hope means. And the Bible has quite a bit to say about hope. I would actually say that hope is intrinsically linked to our faith. You can't tease out the two. You maybe are familiar with this verse in Hebrews. Even if, even if you aren't very familiar with your Bible, you've probably heard this verse before in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, the author is about to go on this whole just amazing like escapade through the Old Testament, walking through all these titan characters of our faith, all these huge people of the Old Testament. And what he's pointing out is it was their faith in the coming Messiah is what saved them. And it starts like this. It says, now faith is the assurance of something that's hoped for. So you can't tease out faith and hope. Our, our faith, our belief is rooted in the prevailing hope that God will do something good, that his plan will prevail, that he's sovereign and that he's good and that his word has spoken. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction or the disposition, the belief that doesn't go away of the things that are not yet seen. So you can't, you can't break apart or pull apart hope and faith. And so that becomes a real problem for us, doesn't it? When we start to recognize and realize in our own hearts that I'm getting a little hopeless with the things that are going on in my life. I don't know what it is for you this holiday season, but, but I think there are several threats to our hope, but there's also a thrill to hope, like we sing in the old Christmas carol, right? And I'm not going to sing it, right? I can't, reach, I can't reach some of those notes that we go for in Old Holy Night. When I'm alone, I pretend I can, you know? But not in front of you all. So some threats to our hope. I think one of the first things that we can do with our hope incorrectly is we can, we can simply just displace it. So hope, a lot of us in here, we came in here as believers in Jesus. We know that our hope is to be surely placed on the cross of Jesus Christ, on the person and work of Jesus. And yet in my own life, in my own heart, and in your life, and in your own heart, we have places where if we're honest, we have displaced hope. We've taken some of that list that I had at the very beginning. We have areas or spaces in our world that we're living in today where we've placed our hope. And again, I, I would bet that you could tie your anxiety, your frustration, your fear, all to an area of your life where you've placed hope that isn't Jesus. And again, every single person does this, but we have hope that we're going to be able to retire someday. I heard it called this week that the, the American gospel is the gospel of upward mobility. What did the person mean by that? Like the gospel of America is just that you'll sort of just get incrementally better day by day by day, season by season by season, until you retire, until you die. That's the American dream, isn't it? Here's what it, here's what it feels like, okay? I'm in, I'm in this house now, but I'm hoping that one day interest rates come down so I can finally get into my dream house. You know, I didn't know I was buying my dream house a few years ago when rates were at 3%. I'm hoping that you know, this, this marriage would work itself out or this relationship would work itself out because, because I'm just believing that this person, they make me who I am and what am I going to do without them? And you're getting your value, you're getting some sense of your identity from somebody else and you're hoping that this will work itself out. And when it doesn't, you, you get frustrated and you lose your mind and not because it's not hurtful that that relationship's disintegrating, but because you've kind of promised to yourself that you are only the person you are because of who you are with them. 
Maybe it's in your parenting, right? All parents can relate to this. So as you drag your kid out of Target, the far, part of the reason you're frustrated is not because of their disobedience in the middle of the store where everyone could see you. It's because you had imperfect parents that tried to raise you the best they could, and you promised to yourself that you would be a different kind of parent. You put your hope in your ability to parent these kids perfectly, and then when they act a fool in front of everyone, and they're screaming at you in front of everyone else, I'm not, I'm not alone here. We've all been there, right? Maybe some of y'all were the kids getting pulled out of Target screaming, you know what I mean? Part of what's happening in that moment is the anger and the frustration stems from your thought that you were a perfect parent or the thought that you'd be able to do something that your parents didn't do for you. Our hopes get dashed all the time when we displace them and we put them in somewhere else. Jesus is the only person that won't let us down. Jesus is the only one who has a perfect plan for us. And even that perfect plan, though, doesn't always go the way that we want it to, which leads me to the second way that we can have our hope threatened, and that's by deferred hope. Deferred hope. The proverb says it this way, that um, hope deferred actually makes our heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, some of y'all, you have a dream in your heart. You aspire to be this certain kind of person at work. You aspire to, you know, finally have kids someday. You aspire to this. You dream of that. None of your desires are necessarily bad. They're not, they're not intrinsically sinful. There may be good and right desires for your life. But sometimes that desire doesn't happen right away. Like another way you could say that in proverb uh, is maybe a dream delayed. What do you do when, when the dream doesn't happen right away? When the promise doesn't come to fruition right away? I love just thinking of like a case study of Abraham. You know, Father Abraham, he had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. Let's just praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Abraham was promised that he would have a son when his body was good and dead. His pro the promise was crazier than that, actually. The promise was that he'd be the father of a nation. I don't know how many kids you got to have to constitute your own nation. Some of y'all are getting close out there with your 15-passenger vans and stuff like that. <laughs> but Abraham, it says in the scriptures that his body, when that promise was made, his body was as good as dead. You know, we have his wife, Sarah, is like 80, 90 years old. You're like, what, what, the what, Lord, are you doing here? You're making a promise of how? Like, what's going to happen? And yet, Abraham has to wait over 20 years for that promise to come to fruition, for him to have his firstborn son. Some of y'all, your heart's sick, your hope's been deferred, and it's been deferred like six months, like you didn't meet your wife at college the first semester, and you're all disappointed right now, and you're all deferred, and you're like, my heart's sick. And I'm like, just wait a little bit. Some promises take time to mature, right? On a more serious note, some of you, you've been waiting for things for far too long, and it's happening for everyone else around you, but it just hasn't happened for you yet. And, and it seems to be that when everything is going wrong in your life, you know what else is simultaneously happening? It's going really right in other people's life, isn't it? Things that seem impossible for you are just common for other people. Why does that happen? Well, I think God, a lot of times, it's not just about him watching that you're trusting him in the promise. He's also trying to form something in you in the waiting. Here's what I would say to those of you who are, are having that, a dream that's delayed. I think the easy answer for me to give to you this morning is that, hey, heaven's going to be awesome and you're not going to remember the problems of this world. And that is true. I don't want you to ever forget that. There's no problem that you're going through right now that's going to look like a big deal 10,000 years from now when we're worshiping Jesus. Amen? And everything's been made right. But rather than just kind of slap that Jesus band-aid on the feelings that you really have, because you, the, the scriptures would say, if, if your hope is deferred, then your heart is in a, a state of sickness. 
like you're heartbroken. And you came in here sad and weary this morning. And what I want to say to you is keep, keep pressing into who Jesus is and what he's done for your life. Comparison is the thief of joy. And so if you keep looking externally at what's going on in every other person's life, then, then you're going to continually disappoint yourself because there's always somebody that's further along than you are. That's true for everybody in this room. On the other side of that though, perspective, if we could put perspective on the flip side of comparison on the same coin, perspective has a good way of reminding you that the place you're in now is the, not the place that you used to be. And you probably have a lot of things going for you in your life right now that are somebody else's dream. Now, that doesn't make it all feel better, but that perspective can be helpful in a, in a moment of despair. And here's the last thing that I would say. If you're in a season of waiting, a dream deferred, a heart that's broken, I would say all of us as followers of Jesus, we have made the decision to bring all of our dreams and to hold them like this before the feet of Jesus. And so whatever it is, a prodigal son returning, a marriage that you thought would have happened by now, a relationship you thought would have been reconciled by now, the job, the promotion, the company, not going the direction that you want it to go. Whatever it is, you have to take your dreams and you have to bring them before Jesus and you have to say, but even if not, I will choose to trust you, Lord, right? And let's not be surprised, church, that if in those moments of surrendering our dreams to God, if he doesn't actually rework our desires in our hearts to long for something different than what we initially dreamed for. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life, is what the rest of that proverb says. And so if God would actually be so kind as to rewire our desires to make us long for something different, then we could actually feel like a tree that is flourishing rather than one that is withering. Does that make sense? The last thing that can happen with our hope, if it can get displaced, it can get deferred, I think it can also just get simply distracted. I'd say that to some of you who maybe just find yourself more of just like you're a Sunday morning Christian. I don't know how else to say it. But your faith kind of boils down to you being here in the building on a Sunday morning. And what I want to just beg you to consider today is that that is, that is no way to live out the abiding life that Jesus has called for you to live with him. The, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 6 that hope can act as an anchor for our souls right? That, that, that as we trust God, just, and he's reflecting on the story of Abraham, that, that hope ended up being an anchor for Abraham, that he continually came back to God's word and his purpose for Abraham's life. And as he continued to reflect on those two unchanging things, that generated hope in his soul that acted as an anchor. But if you are distracted, as in you have one eye on Jesus, you're here on Sunday morning, and you have, have another eye on the, in the world, you're kind of holding hands with some sin that's going on in your life. You have something that you're clinging to, something that you have made an idol in your own heart, your finances, your job, your career, whatever it is over in this category, and you're kind of looking two different ways. Here's what I know. You can't anchor a boat one day a week and expect it to stay in the same place all the time. I'm not a boat guy. I'm the kind of guy that likes to go out on your boat. I don't have my own boat, right? <laughs> Summertime comes around, it heats up, like, I'll bring stuff. Just like, I'd love to go on your boat. I don't, I don't have my own boat. You know what's pretty pivotal for boats? Especially if you want them to stay put, if you want them to have some resolve, if you want them to be able to weather through some storms, you got to anchor them somewhere. You got to tether them down. You got you to put them somewhere. Otherwise, if you anchor a boat down one day a week, one morning a week, that's not going to be your boat for very long, Right? 
what I think this kind of plays itself out like is you come in here on Sunday mornings and you get so inspired. You get so just like stirred up to worship. Your heart's on fire. You're, you're feeling good. You and your relationship with Jesus are like, you're like this, right? And then Monday morning comes and golly, got to go back to work. And I just, I can't stand those people that I have to work with every single week. And you're waiting for that one meeting just to end. And then it never ends because meetings don't end, right? And they just go on for forever. And then you're distracted and you go and you crash into Tuesday. And on Tuesday morning, your kid decides they're going to be sick that school. Oh, I got way too much going on today, but you're going to be sick. That's great. I'll just stay home, cancel all my plans and be with you, right? And then you get back to the back half of Tuesday and it's like soccer practice and you're going this way and that way and you got another meeting you got to get to and you're trying to cook dinner, but you caught something on fire and so you're just going to Chick-fil-A instead. Again, so you're just grabbing nuggets, chucking them back at your kids, hoping they land in their mouths, right? <laughs> Wednesday comes. Wednesday, you're calling that old fling that you used to hook up with and you're calling them to come over because you're feeling a little lonely, a little desperate at this point. The week's been hard. You're stressed only to wake up Thursday morning going like, wait, why did I just do that? Why did I go back there again? You're filled back up with shame. You're filled back up with doubt. You're, you're wondering what any of this even matters. And the whole time that crazy week was happening, Jesus was right there going, hey, just spend some time with me. I know that morning was crazy. Find some time to sit down and to pray, to open the book. Our faith was not meant to be lived out Sunday to Sunday. It was meant to be lived out every day. And you don't need me to do that. You need to be spending time prioritizing your relationship with Jesus. You can't have this distracted view of your faith. You can't have this distracted view of your hope. You need to be reminded of his love for you every single day. Because the world's desperate out there. It's hard. Life's coming at us all quick right now. And if you're not clinging to Jesus every single day, anchoring your hope somewhere, then you will find yourself adrift. You just will. I want to make the argument here before I go into the thrill of hope that hope is not, not as much of a psychological reality as much as it is a spiritual reality. So I think we can mistakenly hear on a Sunday like this that hope is just kind of this, this a feel, it's a feeling that I need to just kind of drum up or muster. That's not what the Bible paints for us at all. Here's a few just verses. I'll go first out of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. You can write these verses down. You can follow along on the YouVersion app if you want to just have reference to them later. Ephesians chapter 2. Sorry, Chris, I'm going backwards in my slides though. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So who is Paul talking to in Ephesians right here? All of us that are not Jewish. Okay? I don't know if we got some Jewish people in here. If you're here, hello, welcome, we greet you. But also, for the rest of us, we were all separated at one time from the commonwealth of Israel. We were not living under the promises of God. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no what? Hope. So the Bible paints a picture that hope is a, is a disposition or a place that you can be when you are under the covenant of promise. As in, let me just say it this way. If any of you came today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't believe any of this stuff that we're talking about is necessarily true. I would say then you lack a kind of hope that, that God wants for you to have for your life. A hope that trusts that God will do something, that good will prevail ultimately. And when you come into Jesus, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If we go from that, First Peter First Peter talks about the kind of hope that lives in us right now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. 
So it's not just a hope that we had at one point in time. It's a hope that's alive and active. It's stirring something in us. It's making us do certain things. It's causing us to live in a certain kind of direction, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter goes on to say later in chapter 3, he says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Here's a couple of like the blues clues that I'm taking out of this passage right here. Always be prepared. So that tells me I need to be rehearsing the story or the reason that I have hope living in me right now. Because if you're not preparing, then you're probably not prepared when somebody asks you to tell you, tell them why you believe the things you believe. So it should be the constant practice of every believer to rehearse and go over your testimony. Why is it that you have hope in you? Why do you have this living hope? Where did it come from? Practice that story. Throw that slide back up for me, Chris. Sorry. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. So you know what else that tells me? The second thing is that sometimes if you're doing this right, people will ask, ask you why you have hope in you like that. People will look at you and they'll go, man, everything else is on fire right now, but you seem to be okay. What's that all about? If you're doing it, there should be times where people want to know and they want to hear why you have a certain kind of hope that lives in you. I think we can get confused. And the biggest maybe misunderstanding of hope is that it's just something that you either do have or don't have, kind of like optimism, right? Uh, like optimism's great, certainly better than pessimism, you know? You're just like, if you want to just be Eeyore about everything, like that's just a bummer, you know? Like let's at least be a little tigger up in this place every now and then, you know what I'm saying? But, but it's not just optimism. Hope is something that, that comes from a greater source. If we look at it here in Romans chapter 15, Paul's writing to a, to a scattered church all throughout Rome that's being persecuted. And what does he write to the Romans in Romans 15? He says, now may the God of hope. So where does hope originate from? You can't muster it on your own. You who were without hope before Christ. Now may the God of hope. Now what's, what is he praying? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So where does this hope come from again? the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you may abound in hope. So what's God's plan for the hopefulness that you have in your heart? That it would abound. Another translation says that you would be radiant in hope. Golly, I love that picture. It's like, what is that, a new blush on you? It's like, no, I'm radiant with hope. Are you kidding me? I'm freaking glowing right now. It's amazing, you know? Radiant with hope. Listen, it's, I make a joke there, but I'm, it's all to say, that's God's plan for the hope that is in you, is that it would, it would look different on you, that you would, you would look a certain kind of way, that your life would flourish in a certain kind of way, and that's the kind of hope that God has planned on you, but that's not a lot of hope that we're carrying with us every single day, if we're totally honest, right? I want to end here by going through Psalm 73. And as we do this, what we're going to do is we're going to invite a little time of response and a little time just to kind of linger and ask the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in us. But Psalm 73, I, I, I'd encourage you, write this psalm down and go spend some time reading it on your own this week. Psalm 73, I want to do just like a little pronouns study through Psalm 73. I know, but don't, don't worry, okay? The first, first third of Psalm 73, let's just open it up here. The author is Asaph. Asaph is, he, he's a musician in the house of David. So he's 
He's dropping sweet beats and writing bars for David, you know. The first third of this psalm, the prominent pronoun that you're going to see in this is they. Asaph's focus as he's losing his mind, he's freaking out, he's panicking, and he's going, God, why is it that you're always prospering the wicked? They. Why is it that they need to, never seem to have any struggle going on in their life? He uses a line in here, it's like, why are they so full they have fattened eye sockets? Which is gross, isn't it? <laughs> but it's this picture of prosperity. Why is it that they always have a warm meal on their table? Why is it they always have plenty and I'm struggling here? Because in the second third of Psalm 73, you know where Asaph's attention goes? It's where a lot of our attention goes when we start to see the blessing or the prosperity of other people in our life around us. It goes to, well, poor me. And Asaph starts going, well, have I worshiped you in vain, God? Like, where have you been? I, I tried to do this. I've done that. And yet, where, what did you do? Asaph's attention goes to himself. And that, that is the temptation for every single one of us is when, you, when, you, when you're seeing plenty of hope in the world around you, but it's missing in you, then you start criticizing God for what's going on in you. But where the psalm finds its resolution in the final third is when Asaph quits turning his attention from them or from himself and up to God. That's when the psalm finally hits its resolve, and it hits its resolve with these verses. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you, God. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can I, can I read that for some of the tired hearts in the room today? For some of the hurting hearts in the room today? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion for forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me... What if it could be said this holiday season, this Christmas season, but for us, Good Shepherd Church, but for us, it's good to be near to God. I don't want to have a distracted hope, a distracted faith. I want to be attentive to what God is doing. I want us to be looking at, I don't want to, I don't want to have us displacing our hope in the wrong areas. I want us to trust in Jesus, our rock. I want us to know that he is going to do the things that his word has promised and what his purpose plans to execute in this world through us. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Every single week as we end these services, we're going we're gonna to turn our attention to the Advent wreath. And maybe you had one of these in your church growing up. Maybe you didn't. But I think what's so beautiful about the Advent wreath is we're, we're lighting candles as we go. And that light is, is such biblically rich imagery. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world, and the darkness cannot overcome the light. That's what the first very beginning of John says, in him was, that, was light, and that light was the life of men. And the light has come, and the darkness cannot overcome it. I think that's part of the mystery of this holiday season we find ourselves in. That's why we like, why do we obsess about lights, and why is there like this warm glow everywhere you go? I think part of it's because it's touching on that mystery that's in all of our soul, that, that there's something about light in a cold, dark night that you realize that everything's going to be okay. And Jesus was the light of the world who came into the world to save it. And then when we turn our attention to Advent, we're, we're drawing this like physical representation of light piercing through that which is dark. So this week, we're going to light the candle for hope. 
And we'll go and we'll light more of these candles as we go throughout Advent. But every single week, what we're going to do is we're going to take some time to respond in communion. And we're going to spend some time just sitting with God, asking him to do something in our life. So I'm going to light this candle. We're going to sing a song as we close today. But after we've sat for just a little bit in this moment, if you notice when you came in, there are 223 candles out there on that really pretty display in the middle of the hallway. At the beginning of the year, we had said, we want our church to be a place where the work of God doing something is easy to see both in us and through us. And we want to have stories of God doing something. Those 223 candles represent 223 stories that we've heard so far this year. Stories of healing, stories of breakthrough in a relationship, stories of amazing things happening between fathers and sons, amazing things happening with people in their faith where they're coming back to Jesus for the first time in a long time. 223 different stories that all are represented and displayed by a little candle that's been lit. Because when we started at the beginning of the year, we had this series called A Wonder to Many. And it was this idea that at the root word of testimony is this concept of God, do it again. See, when you tell a story of what God has done, you're inviting hope into the people around you. You're saying, God can do this again. And maybe you think your story is insignificant. I would say there's no insignificant thing that God is doing at work in you right now. As we said, we want to be a place where stories are happening both in and through us. So, 30 plus of those are baptisms. People who jumped in the water and publicly declared that they were surrendering their life to Jesus and are eager to follow after him. It's amazing, right? I, I wonder if today during that time you should have in the seat back by you a little note card, something like this. It just says, share your story. We stepped them all over the place. There's pens all over. And I, here's the thing. I have friends that I've said, hey, you've had a really cool thing happen in your life. You should, you should turn that story in. And they keep going like, oh yeah, I, I'm meaning to do that. Well, now's your time. We're just going to give you five, ten minutes here at the end of service that you can write in a story of what, a testimony of what God has done. And ultimately, I don't even know if we have the budget for this. It's going to be Chelsea's problem, not mine. But every story we collect is going to be displayed in a candle somewhere in here. And we're going to watch as light prevails in the darkness. Because it's a dark world we're living in right now. But God is at work in every single one of your hearts. I know it. We just want to hear the stories. So during this time, you can take communion. I'd encourage you to, to take communion. If you receive the elements on your way, and if you didn't, you can just slip your hand up and we'll have some lovely people come and hand you the elements. But during this response time, here's where I want you to kind of steer your mind's attention or to steer your thoughts. Probably just with this one question, we'll kick off the rest of it. But how hopeful is your heart today? Whatever the thing is that you have going on in your life, how hopeful is your heart? Maybe it's going to be a time of repentance where you come and you go, oh man, I've, I've put hope in the wrong thing in the last little season. I need to come back to Jesus in this. And he's ready and willing to meet you in this space. But I also then want to just, I don't want to just acknowledge maybe our mistakes. I want to pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might be a people who are radiant with hope. Radiant with hope. And then I just would love for you to take some time. Ask yourself, do the, do the internal work. Has God, has God done something in your life that is worthy of sharing right now? And just jot your story card down. There's baskets right out front here. You can see there's a ton from first service. And we're just going to collect these stories. And I don't know what all we're going to do with them. Maybe someday we'll get to tell them all. I hope we can. But for now, I just want to encourage you. There's no insignificant work 
that the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. It all matters. It all matters. And so let's take a few minutes. Let's be quiet before the Lord. And then we'll end with a song here after about five minutes or so. So Holy Spirit, come. I just ask that you would move in this time. Speak to your people. And make us just radiant with your hope today. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go, I want to make sure you should really grab one of these Christmas Eve invite um, cards. I'd love for you to take one and invite somebody in your world to come not just to Christmas Eve, but to come and during this Advent season. You can imagine hope, joy, peace. They're all things that are lacking in the world right now. And so there's probably somebody really close to you in your life that, that needs to hear the story of Jesus for sure. So I'd love for you to take one of these, invite them to Christmas Eve. Um, but every week we try to end our service in this way where really my mind wants to turn all of our attention to, to what God's going to be doing the rest of the week. I love Sunday mornings. I love coming in here and rallying on Sunday, singing. I was singing so loud, my voice is cracking all over the place. It sounded like I was, never mind. Um, but I, I want a kind of faith that has some resolve to it when I wake up on Monday morning and it's still there on Wednesday. And so I just think even right now, all over the room, if you can kind of just close your eyes or whatever you need to do, just envision where you'll be this week. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to be with? Who are you going to see? Some conversations will take you by surprise, but others are probably totally routine. And so where can the hope that we found in Jesus show up in the places that we get to live in our life? Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd have us so radiant with hope that even those areas, even those spaces wouldn't be void of who you are and what you're doing in this room right now. God, I pray this morning that, I pray that the, the spirit of hopelessness would, would break in this room in Jesus' name. I pray for despair to just, to just be gone in Jesus' name. Would you replace it, God? Replace that despair with a, a sure trust in your plan in our life. For the delayed dreams that are in this room, the hope that's deferred, the sick hearts. God, I pray that you'd help sustain every single one of those people that you love. Help encourage them, help be with them as they continue to wait. And God, we just right now collectively, we surrender our hearts to you and say, God, we want what you want for our life. As hard as that may be, we want what you want for our life. So Holy Spirit, we just give you permission to take us anywhere this week to do whatever you want with us. And I pray that we would represent you well as we walk out of these doors today. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.